Good morning. It's very good to see you out there. And uh, it's great to hear your voices. Uh, I usually don't sit this close to the front, and hearing all of your voices behind really brings a, a great sensation to... Um, it reminds me of, of what Revelation says about standing before the throne and multitudes praising the name of Jesus. This is a, a taste of that. Let's, uh, let's have another taste of, of Jesus and his glory. Uh, if you would open your Bible, if you have one, somewhere in the pews, to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, John and Louise, thank you very much for, um, for guiding us through the service for arranging things and guiding our minds and hearts. Uh, Louise said something very, uh, very helpful and very profound, much more profound than, than most of us probably realize. Uh, she asked the question, who do, you, who do you think Jesus is? And that seems like a very simple question. Um, but it actually is, is of the utmost importance, uh, not just for people who don't really know Jesus and are thinking about, about him, meaning non-Christians, but actually for people, even people who have been walking with Jesus, following Jesus for 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. I don't think there's ever a time when we should not ask the question, do I really understand him? Uh, and if I don't, what's wrong, what's off? What am I expecting that's not quite right? This is where we come to, again, the passage that Louise mentioned and read from, uh, an area of, of Israel, or just north of Israel, called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was walking with his disciples toward that. This is it right here. That is an original picture from 2,000 years ago. No, that anybody who, well, never mind. That's not, um, but that is Caesarea Philippi. That is the area where he was walking with his disciples. And he asked them that all-important question. Uh, he said, who do people say that I am? That's what Jesus was interested in. And they answered, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say that, that you're Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And then he directed it right at their hearts. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, very often the first one to blurt out an answer, said, you are the anointed king. And that's what Christ means, Messiah, the anointed king and Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That was the part that Louis stopped before reading. Why does he say that? Why does he stop them from telling people that that's who he is? That is who he is. P Peter got it right. He is the anointed king. It seems to me that, that Jesus did not want Peter to, or the others to go around announcing that. And he stopped a lot of people actually from talking about him, um, because even though Peter got it right, he is the anointed king, Peter understood something different about what that meant. He didn't have Jesus' own understanding of what that meant to be the anointed king. And Jesus wanted to clarify that. This is what I think that means. Before they went around and, and, and told everybody that he was the anointed king. That would just spread confusion, actually. They had something right about who he was, but, but something quite wrong. And their expectations of what Jesus would do hinged on their understanding of who he was. And I think that's probably the same with us. 
who we understand Jesus to be. We might have some things very right. We might have some things wrong. Our expectations of who he is, of what he'll do, what he'll do for us, they hinge on, on who we understand him to be. So I think it would be helpful if we explored this more for a little bit. Who is Jesus? Do we understand him correctly? Of course, the moment we ask, ask that question, who is Jesus, uh, and we turn to God's word to explain it to us, you could turn to the Gospels, and you notice that there are four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, there's not just one. There are four portraits of Jesus. And people will often come to two very different conclusions when they see that there are four portraits, not just one. Some people will immediately see differences. Say, they don't describe Jesus in the same ways. They have different details. And, and they'll probably go to the extreme. I would say definitely go to the extreme and say, these portraits are contradictory. We don't know who Jesus is because our four pictures of him are, are, are too different. Other people go the other way, I would say. They just ignore that there are four. Or maybe don't realize differences at all. And, and some people actually get bored. They read Matthew, then they start reading Mark, and they start reading similar stories, and they think, oh, come on. I just read the gospel. Why do I need to read it all over again? And then they turn to Luke. Oh, come on, three times? Do I really need to read four gospels? So they're going the other extreme. They don't recognize that actually there are significant differences in how each of the gospel authors present Jesus. Some people think that those differences are contradictory. Some people ignore them completely. I think the most helpful way is to recognize that they complement each other and are different. They present different angles on who Jesus is. They're right, and we actually don't have a full picture of Jesus unless we take all of them with their differences into consideration. So see, they're pointing at the cross, at Jesus, actually, uh, from different angles. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar to each other, but actually are, are still looking at Jesus from different perspectives. John is quite different, looking from a very different perspective. Uh, but it's a bit like this. If you describe the, the girl in the first picture, and then you describe the girl in the second picture, you might come up with very different descriptions of her, depending on what angle you're looking at her from. So if you're a lot shorter than her, and you describe her like that first picture, and somebody listening, they get a certain idea, a certain image of who she is, what she's like, and then somebody taller than her comes along and describes her like in the other one, and then somebody listening says, that sounds like a totally different person. Well, no, it's not. They're just looking from different perspectives, different angles. So this is quite actually a common idea to us. People can describe something very differently from different perspectives, but that actually helps us round out our understanding rather than actually being contradictory. I would say that that's what the gospel authors do. Each of the four have a different perspective on who Jesus is, and we need to pay attention to each of them on their own terms in order to really understand Jesus fully. Uh, just a few details of, of how some of them are a tiny bit different. Uh, each writer, each of the four, has a different manner of storytelling. And we sometimes miss this as we read through Matthew and Mark, Luke and John. Uh, for example, Mark's gospel 
is fast-paced. Uh, Matthew's is not. Luke's is not. Mark is fast-paced. He often uses the present tense to describe things. Jesus gets into a boat. A storm comes about. His disciples say this to him, whereas Matthew often uses past tense, like a lot of writers do. Jesus got into the boat. His disciples said to him. That's, that's actually quite different, and Mark creates this sense of action and urgency and presentness simply by the way he tells the story. Also, Mark, fast-paced, he uses the word immediately 42 times in his short gospel. Also, Mark often will throw out an in-your-face theological statement and then zip off to the next story before you even have time to figure out what has just been said. But in comparison, uh, Matthew doesn't do it quite that way. He's a little more even with how he tells it. They're not quite as in-your-face and stark statements. So these are just some of the differences in how the different authors tell the story of Jesus. There's another way that they're different. Each writer arranges the material, the events, differently. For example, Matthew puts related events and teaching into five successive blocks. Meaning he'll, he'll give a chunk of teaching and then a chunk of action that goes with it. And then a chunk of teaching and a chunk of action that goes with it. And then a chunk of teaching and a chunk of action that goes with it. Five of those. Matthew doesn't seem to be really concerned about exactly what happened first and then second. He's actually putting them together in a way that presents Jesus in a certain way. That's different than how Mark does it, who maybe is a little more chronological. So they're arranging their material in order to tell us something important about Jesus. So they do this differently. They arrange the material differently. Also, each writer is writing to different audiences, different types of people. For example, Mark seems to be addressing uh, people closer to Rome who don't really know many Jewish terms or ideas. So every time Mark mentions a Jewish word or idea, he then explains or translates it. Matthew, by contrast, he mentions all those Jewish words and ideas, but he never translates them. It seems like his audience knows. He's writing to probably Jews that are closer to Palestine. So the different audiences shape how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell about Jesus. Well, here's the point of, of why I'm bringing out these examples of how the gospel writers present Jesus from different perspectives, though I don't think contradictory in any way, complementary. The point is that each writer has a different complementary emphasis on who Jesus is and how we follow him. And maybe that could enliven your study as you open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, to look for how is each author differently telling me about Jesus and how I follow him. I'm not gonna try to walk through all four gospels right now in the next 10 minutes. I am gonna try to walk through one whole gospel in the next 10 minutes. No, that's not quite right. We're not gonna walk through it. Uh, but I am gonna present to you an overview of Mark's gospel, just to give you a big picture. So we've just looked at, at one passage at the core of Mark's gospel. Who do people say I am? What about you? Who do you say I am? I want to give you the forest, not just the trees. 
And then you can go away, and, and maybe it would be an interesting discussion point around the lunch table to then talk about some of the particulars in Mark. So I'm going to try to show you how Mark presents Jesus and see if that challenges us. So here is an overview of all of Mark's gospel on one PowerPoint slide. I'm going to try to develop it for you. He starts with an introduction, introducing Jesus, and he highlights some very important things about Jesus right in the beginning. He's the Christ. What that means is he's the anointed king. He's also the son of God. And actually, I think what Mark means by that is, again, he's the king. That term is used for David and David's descendants. They are the sons of God. Uh, and I think that's what Mark means by this. Jesus is the king. He throws it right in our face from the beginning, from verse 1. That's who he is. After he introduces Jesus, he then has his whole gospel unfolds in two parts. There's the first eight chapters is a chunk, then the last eight chapters is another chunk. Two blocks. The first one, it begs the question, sometimes asks the question, who is this guy, actually? All the stories that Mark puts into the first eight chapters are asking this question, who is this? That's chapters 1 to 8. The second half shifts the focus a bit. And it asks the question, what will he do? Now that we've established who he is, what's he actually here to do? That's Mark's gospel right there. Eight chapters, who is he? Whoa, who is he? Whoa, who is this guy? Eight chapters. Then the last eight, what's he doing? What's he doing? What? What's he here to do? Two basic points. Well, right in the middle, there's a hinge, a pivot, one passage that actually ties these two halves together, and that's the passage that, that we've already read from. That's uh, Mark chapter 8, 27 to 9, 1. And it's the question, who do you say that I am? You're the king. Now, here's what I'm here to do. See, those are the two questions. Who do people say I am? That's what's just been going on the first half. Okay, yes, that is who I am. Now, what am I here to do? He tells them, and then that unfolds the second half, what he's here to do. And then he concludes, Mark concludes, with an amazing, brief, abrupt presentation that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. So that, that's the Gospel of Mark. So now when you go away and you start reading through Mark's gospel, maybe you can have this framework in your mind, uh, these questions. I've already hinted a little bit about how Mark actually answers these questions. Who is Jesus? What is he here to do? But let me focus on that for a moment. It's that first half. Who is he? The way that Mark presents Jesus is he is the son with sovereignty. Now, Matthew seems to really put emphasis on Jesus' teaching, which Mark does not do. He doesn't give us much of what Jesus says in his teaching. Mark's focus is really, he has authority, sovereignty. This man is in control. 
Let me show you some examples of that, and then we'll turn to the second point. So this is the first half of Mark. Mark's first point, who is this man? Jesus, the Christ, anointed king, the son of God, the Davidic king. These are all verses from the first half of Mark's gospel. See if you can detect a pattern. He teaches with authority. He teaches with authority, and the demons submit to him. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. He gives his disciples authority over demons. Who is this that even the wind and the sea submit to him? He gives his disciples authority over demons again. Do you think Mark is trying to make a point? Who is this guy? Well, this man, Jesus, is somebody who has authority in every way you can possibly think of. So in the first half of Mark's gospel, chapters 1 to 8, Jesus is the king who clearly has authority. In fact, unlike any king ever before, except God, Jesus has authority over every aspect of existence. That's the type of king he is. He has authority to teach. He has authority over demons. No human king has ever had that. He has authority over sins to forgive those. Wow, what type of king is this? He has authority over the Sabbath. He has authority over the wind and the sea. Something that some kings in his day tried to say that they had, but he, Jesus actually demonstrated it. This is the king that, that we serve. This is the one who has complete authority. So that leads us to certain conclusions. This is who Jesus is. You might be thinking, as his disciples were, hmm, this king has absolute power, and we've been watching this unfold. I like that. Good. I want to follow this guy. I mean, wouldn't you want to follow a guy who has authority over everything? I wonder what he'll do for me. If he, if he can do anything. And then I, I think to myself, um, my prayers probably indicate what I am expecting him to do for me based on what I think. What do I ask him to do in this world and to do for me? All of these flow, all these expectations flow from our understanding of who he is. And we've just been told he is the king with absolute sovereignty. What's he going to do? Well, this is, <clears throat> this is when the second point, the second half of Mark's gospel kicks in. Mark has just told us in detail, action-packed detail, who Jesus is the sovereign total authority, but what's he here to do? What should I actually expect of him? Well, that's that second point. He's the servant who suffers. As I mentioned a moment ago, Mark will often throw out an in-your-face theological statement, and, and he doesn't explain it. He just kind of slaps you with it and then goes to the next event. Well, he basically does that with his entire gospel. He puts these two things that we think don't really go together, 
and slams them together and says, that's who Jesus is. He has total authority. He serves and suffers. That doesn't make sense. So the second half of his gospel, let's take a look at a few of the ways that Mark tells us about Jesus, about what he's here to do. Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the king of God's kingdom, yes, so what do you expect me to do? Well, there are three chunks in the second half of Mark's gospel where Jesus tells us what he's here to do. And see if you can, again, detect a pattern in these three chunks. Jesus announces, I will suffer and be killed, but I will rise again. The disciples misunderstand. No, you you can't die. So Jesus clarifies. He explains the cost of being his followers. He says, yes, and you will too for me. But then he does it again. A second and a third time. Jesus announces, I will suffer and be killed, but I will rise again. The disciples misunderstand, saying things like, I'm the greatest. No, no, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And Jesus stops them and says, he explains the cost of discipleship again. He says, no, be a servant. Start welcoming children and those who are weak. And the third time, he announces again, I'm here to suffer and to die, to be killed. I will rise again. The disciples misunderstand again saying things like, we want the place of honor and power and authority in your kingdom. So he sits him down again and he explains again the cost of following him. He says, no, you are supposed to rule by being a slave of others. And after those three repetitions of what he's actually here to do, how they misunderstand him, and how he explains it for them, he then concludes with this powerful summary statement. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the second half of Mark's gospel. After painting Jesus as the most authoritative person in the world, he then clarifies what he's here to do with that authority. So in the second half of Mark's gospel, chapters 9 to 15, Jesus reshapes what Christ means, what the king is all about, what the son of man, the eternal king, is really here to do. He reshapes their idea, their expectations, as well as reshaping what they think discipleship is all about following the king. And prominent in every single one of those explanations is suffering for others before glory. That's the king's way. I find this incredibly challenging. Every time I think about it, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable because, because I don't like this. I like that he has absolute power. I don't much like that he calls me to suffer for other people to be benefited. 
Uh, so, and I think about this in, in each realm in which I function, as a family, as, uh, as a worker in a workplace, serving in church, I think, well, how, am I act- how do I understand Jesus as the one with all authority who actually serves others and suffers for them? How do I follow him? Do I follow him the way he wants me to follow him? And so when I come home from work and I'm tired, and I know that certain passages in the Bible tell me that I'm the head of the family, that I have authority, and I walk in the door tired from work, what do I do with that authority? Especially when I look at my wife and she's exhausted from her work, caring for the kids and serving others. We're both tired. What do I do with my authority? Well, if I want to follow Jesus the way he wants to be followed, I need to figure out a way that that I can actually serve for the benefit of others. This is why I find it really challenging, because it's so practical. My understanding of who Jesus is, my expectations of what he does and how I follow him have serious consequences in life. That's a a glimpse at Mark's gospel, at how Mark paints the portrait of Jesus for us to follow. I think it would be worthwhile doing the same thing with Matthew, with Luke, with John, so that we can get all the angles and really build our understanding of who Jesus is. So the question that I leave with us uh, before we respond in a song is what is your image of Jesus? Who do you think he is? What do you expect of him? Will you and I follow the master in the particulars of life, the way that he wants to be followed?